What a beautiful faith story um, about Amanda's beautiful mother, Georgia Hill. That's a lovely name, isn't it? Georgia Hill. And uh, um, so Georgia lived in this world knowing that she was made for another world. And she was someone who lived the life of heaven before she got there. Uh, Dallas Willard um, was a Christian philosopher and professor at the University of Southern California, Um, prolific author, solid Christian, man of God. He once said, those who trust in Christ never experience death. Sometime after they die, they'll figure out something's different. And I really think that's George's life. And that's really about the life of heaven and the point of our lives as we prepare for the life in the new heavens and the new earth. We're in a series of messages here at Windsor Road called Hope for Heaven. And the point of our series on heaven is not this. It's not this. It's not Look, people, repent, get your act together, and then eventually, someday, you can know that when you die, you'll go to this non-physical place of bliss called heaven. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That's not what we teach here. You see, Christianity is not about getting into heaven after you die. It's about getting into heaven before you die. It's about living the life and the love and the values of heaven in this world, in the here and now. It's about bringing the future certain world to come, those values here. It's about that part of the Lord's Prayer which says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about living the way you're going to live then, now. That's it. And that's the point of a passage of Scripture that I want us to consider uh, this morning from the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And... You'll find that on page 966 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please feel free to take that copy that's in the pouch in front of you and uh, receive it as a gift from this church family. The Apostle Paul has something very important to say about how God has made us for the world to come and how that changes everything about how we see this world. And, and that's really the big idea that I want us to pay attention to today. I want you to get this lesson if you don't get anything else. God made us for another world. And this changes everything about how we see this world. See if you can't pick that up in these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self 
is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our our, um, heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is God's word. God has made us for another world. And this changes everything about how we see this world. Now, it's a really important, big idea, especially when trouble comes our way. It's not hard to see that when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, he was experiencing a season that he himself calls affliction. Verse 17, you see that? Affliction. So he's telling the Christians in Corinth um, how he's interpreting the afflictions that are coming into his life. Paul says that the afflictions that are occurring in this season of his life are due to the fact that he is preaching the gospel, that he's an apostle, that he's serving God, and that he's swimming against the the tide of culture. Now, it just seems like the Corinthian church, they were kind of like the wild child of all of the different churches that the apostle Paul planted. They had so many troubles, and Paul, in 1 and 2 Corinthians, just just had to troubleshoot all of the different questions and issues. And they just seemed to think that they had their own interpretation as to why the Apostle Paul was experiencing uh, the afflictions that he was experiencing. They were saying, well, Paul, if you were a real apostle, then you wouldn't be experiencing all of this trouble because God would be blessing you more. And if you're, and where have we heard that? I mean, that's 2,000 years old. Paul says, no. No, the reason why I'm experiencing the afflictions that I'm experiencing is because Jesus promised me that I would experience affliction for preaching the gospel and planting churches and swimming against the tide of the culture. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is keeping his promise to me, Paul says. So no, no, we don't lose heart when the affliction comes. Why? Because of how we interpret the afflictions of our experience. Now let's just pause right there and just think about what's going on here. Because what we're learning just right here is something that's very important and unique to us as made in God's image. And it's simply this. You never ever live life on the fact of your experience. You never ever respond to life solely on the facts of your experience. You don't. You don't do that. Rather, you live your life and you respond to life based on your interpretation of the facts of your experience. So every person in this room is an interpreter. Every person in this room is a philosopher. And you're constantly taking in the experiences and the events and the highs and lows of life. And you're interpreting that. Do you know how profound that is? Do you know how, how holy that is for you to have the ability to do that? God made us that way. Furthermore, the interpretive system that you carry into your experience, in fact, shapes that experience. So Paul says, look, in my season of suffering, in my affliction, we do not lose heart. And why? Because his entire life is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, which says, knowing that he, that is God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We're not made for this world. We're made for another world. And that changes everything about how we see and how we interpret and how we process both the highs and the lows, the celebrations and the afflictions that come into our life. We do not lose heart. We're made for another world. That's why Paul says what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Look, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God. God made you to live with him. You were created for the world to come. He made you for his world. That's why we grow restless. That's why we get edgy. That's why we kind of get twitchy. Listen, if you get thirsty, that must mean water exists. If you get hungry, that must mean food exists. And if there's no desire in this world that ultimately satisfies you, guess what that means? That you were made for another world. We're made for the world to come. I like what Max Lucado, a pastor and author, writes. He says, take a fish and place him on the beach. Watch his gills gasp and his scales dry. Is that fish happy? No. Well, how are you going to make him happy? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Will that make the fish happy? Do you get him a beach chair and sunglasses? Will that make him happy? Do you bring him a Playfish magazine and a martini? Will that make him happy? Do you wardrobe him in double-breasted fins and people-skin shoes? Will that do the trick? No. How do you make him happy? You get him off the beach, you get him in the water. 
because he wasn't made to live in the beach. He was made for the world of water. You were not made for this world. Yes, you'll have your moments of joy. Yes, there'll be the highs. Yes, you'll catch glimpses of light. But they do not compare with the joy that is to come in the world for which you have been made. Another pastor and another author, 1,500 years ago, prayed this prayer. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. God made you for another world. And this changes everything about how we see this world. And specifically, it helps us understand and make peace with what this world is and what this world isn't. Because we've been made for another world, we can see this world for what it is. Thank God for what it is. And then thank God for what it isn't. Let's talk about what it isn't first. According to these verses, Paul says this world is not our final destination. It's not our final home. It's not the final end. How do we know that? Well, Paul says this world is a tent. It's temporary. It's transient. This world is a tent. The next world is a palace. And throughout these verses, Paul does a comparative analysis between what's temporary and what's permanent, between what's tent life and what's palace life. Beginning in verse 16, look, outer self versus inner self. Verse 17, light versus weighty. Momentary versus eternal. Verse 18, seen versus unseen. Transient versus eternal. Uh, 5-1, earthly versus heavenly. Tent versus building. Human made versus God made. Verse 4, unclothed versus clothed. Mortality versus life. We walk by faith, not by sight. You see, this life is like life in a tent, Paul says. And, And he says, quite frankly... Look, this tent is wasting away. The outer, everything in this world is wasting away. And he's not just talking about, when Paul says in verse 16 that our outer self is wasting away, he's not just talking about your physical body, although that certainly is true. I mean, he's talking about the present age. Everything that we see and taste and touch and experience, it's wasting away. It's fading. It's fraying. It just is. It's irreversibly falling apart. Your physical body is wasting away. Yeah. Your, 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 your skills, your vocational skills are wasting away. You can't stay on top of your game forever. You're not going to be in demand forever. It's wasting away. Your family's wasting away. Your friendships are wasting away. People move. People age. People die. We're wasting away. By the way, welcome to Winter Road Christian Church. I'm glad you're here today. Enjoy the coffee while you can, because it goes bad too, you know? Hey, you better eat that donut now, because tomorrow morning, you know. Look, this, come on, right? I mean, this, we're just, 
No other worldview has such a realistic perspective about this world. Paul isn't being dismal. He's not. He's just being realistic. It is what it is. And here is important. Because every society has always been more reconciled to the brokenness of life except ours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 1,400 people die this past week in a heat wave in India. And we just, 21st century Americans in the world's sole superpower, we just go, how can that happen? Well, let me tell you how that happens, okay? It happens because it's up in 117 degrees. And there's over a billion people in India. And most of them are poor. And so when a heat wave comes, people die. That's how. How can 8,000 people in Nepal die in an earthquake? I mean, if 8,000 people died in the United States, we'd have congressional hearings. How can that happen? Here's how that happens. Earthquakes often occur in Nepal. And when they occur, because that's a poor country, and the building code standards are not as high as ours, people die. Okay? When you, when you read the diaries of people, even in our culture, up till, you know, the last, uh, up till, uh, uh, until about 50 years ago, people just didn't. It didn't seem to surprise. Suffering didn't seem to surprise. But it seems to surprise us. How could this happen? What do you mean how it could happen? What do you mean? What are you talking about? It happens because this is a broken, fallen, sinful world. And yes, the effects of the fall have permeated every nook and cranny of creation. And so, yeah, this is why. And it happens because... This is not our final destination. It's not. This world in the here and now is not our final destination, according to these verses. And when we treat it as as if it is, we get ourselves in trouble. We do. We get ourselves in trouble. Because it's not. Nothing in this world is our final destination. Nothing. Your relationships, they're not your final destination. Your education, not your final destination. Your job, not your final destination. Your home, not your final destination. Retirement, not your final destination. Friendships, your marriage, your family, not your final destination. Even even ministry activities in a church like ours, not the final destination. You know, those of us... Pastors who, you know, work in church life, we sometimes treat ministry like it's the final destination. It's not. Nothing in this present age should be treated as if it's our final destination. And when we treat it like it is, we get in trouble. Because we try to extract more of it than it can possibly give. We ask possessions to satisfy our souls, but they don't. We expect earthly experiences to give us lasting joy, but they can't. We expect broken, dysfunctional people to make us happy, but they won't. It's because they're not designed to. When we treat this world as a final destination, 
we start making excessive standards on those people in our lives, and when they inevitably fail to to attain to those standards that we have set, then we feel offended. When we treat this world like it's a final destination, we reduce it to our own personal pleasure delivery system that can never quite get it right. And I just wonder, I just wonder, church family, how many of us have made ourselves miserable and others miserable because we just keep insisting that this world deliver what it was never meant to deliver. How many relationships have we ended? How many experiences have we spoiled? How many churches have we left because, you know, we say, well, I'm not getting fed. Well, you know, and that may be true if you're not getting fed Bible. On the other hand, it may just mean that someone failed your personal pleasure delivery system and you just decided to be out of here. And then, on top of all of that, when our pleasure system disappoints, we accuse God for not fixing our tattered tent. But here's the deal. God's not working on your tent. He's working on your palace. And he's working to get you ready for life in the palace. Furthermore, whether you believe in eternity or not, God always responds to us with eternity in view. Always. Because he made you for another world. And that changes everything you see about this world. And so now you know for what it's not. It's not our final destination. And you may be thinking, well, okay, if that's what it's not, what is it? Paul tells us. Paul tells us what the purpose of the here and now happened to be. Verse 17, 417. For this light momentary affliction is, here it is, preparing. Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says it again in chapter 5, verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing. What very thing? Life in this world preparing us for life in the next world is God who's given us His Spirit. Because we're made for another world, we're able to see this world for what it's not. And it's not our final destination, but it is the preparation for our final destination. God's getting us ready. Because He knows that I need more preparation for the world to come. There's just too many times when I'm just too impressed with myself. Too many times that I love the creation more than the Creator. Too much I want my way in my little kingdom of Randy. But God has absolutely no interest in promoting the kingdom of Randy. So, He enrolls me in His AP Character Academy to prepare me for life in the palace. And he uses all kinds of experiences in his curriculum 
in his here and now curriculum to produce in my life some heavy duty hope. So he uses relational experiences. He uses educational experiences, yes, at school and university. He uses vocational experiences at work and with your employer and your colleagues and your employees and those EGR people in your life, extra grace required people, right? He uses them. And he, he uses ministry experiences and serving experiences. And we're going to hear about some of those experiences a little later on in our service. And yes, these verses tell us that God uses painful experiences. He calls afflictions. But he says in verse 17 that these afflictions are light and momentary. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that they're paper cuts or hangnails. These are deep, life-threatening experiences that the Apostle Paul faces day in and day out. But the reason why he calls them light and momentary is because he puts them on the scale compared to the life to come. And he says that compared to the life to come, they're light and momentary because the life to come, oh, will will be an exceedingly eternal weight of glory. What Paul is saying is that in the here and now, God will strategically and intentionally and purposefully put you on a path that you'd rather not go to take you to a place you could never get to on your own. He will do that to you. He will allow you to face experiences so that through those experiences, he could produce in your life what you would not be able to produce by yourself. So that when those afflictions come, it's not because God's mad at me, not because God's angry with me, it's not because God's punishing me. For the believer, God has punished Christ for my sins and disobedience. So if affliction comes my way, I may not know exactly what it's about, but I know what it's not about. It's not because he's mad at me. God's putting me in his advanced placement character training academy, taking me to a place that I would be unable to go on my own. So I don't need a better here and now. What I need is a better perspective about the here and now. And that perspective is our destiny, a resurrected life, in a resurrected body with a resurrected Jesus on a resurrected heaven and earth. That's what we live for. And that determines our behavior. Sometimes it's very helpful to look back in your past to see why you do what you do. And Paul is encouraging us, don't just look behind, look ahead. Look to the future and let that shape your behavior because you had not been made for this world. God made you for the world to come. And that changes everything. I want to show you something. I'm from Oklahoma. 
Okie's like ropes. Here's my rope. And this rope, this rope is your life and my life. And I want you to just imagine this rope continuing on into infinity, all eternity. Rope starts here, and then it continues, and it just never, ever, ever stops. Eternal life, our forever. That makes sense. This red part, this is the here and now. This is your life and my life and the here and now. Then after this, it goes all into eternity. Uh, James puts it this way. James says, what is your life? It's but a vapor or a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes, right? And he's putting that compared to eternity, that which never vanishes. So here's our life, right here, right here, and then all of eternity, all right? Now, some of us, and I love you, church family, some of us, all we do is we just think about this section right here. And we dream about this section, and we scheme about this section, we plan about this section, and we prepare about this section, and that's all we do. That's all we do. Are you kidding me? Really? Well, what about this part? What about this part over here? And what about this part? We want to plan for the last 20 years. What about 10,000 years after that? What about 50,000 years after that? How are we stewarding this little, small, vapor-length, small section of our life, the one life God has given us, how are we stewarding this to prepare us for this life, this life, and this life? How, how are we doing that? And you may be sitting there, you may, you may be exploring Christianity, and you may say, oh, Bolding House, what have you been smoking? What are you talking about? What, just, I just believe that this life is all there is. All right? You're stupid. And you know what? If, if, if you're right, I am. If you're right, I am. But what if you're not? What if after this life, there's, there's what life to come? Then you tell me who's stupid. And you say, why would you possibly believe that? Because... Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.14, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. I believe that because I believe that God brought a man back from the dead in a resurrected body. And our destiny is is to live a resurrected life in a resurrected body with resurrected Christ on a resurrected heaven and earth. That's why. That's, that's what we believe, isn't it? So that changes everything. It changes everything. And that's why Paul says, so we do not lose heart. 
That's why Paul says later on in verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Always, always. That, that phrase literally means, for we always act boldly. We act boldly. And then Paul says, so, so we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. Even to the point, even to the point where we, we look forward to 2 Corinthians 5.10. That's an intimidating verse, isn't it? Is to me, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That sounds intimidating. That each one may. What is that? Oh, there's so much to be said about that. Let me say this. It's about someone who cares about you enough to evaluate your life. <laughs> That's what that means. It's, it's not about having to wait until you get there to find out whether or not you made it. We, that, that, that's not what this means. I think it means something like an experience that I had not long ago with our family life minister, Justin Craig. A few weeks ago, while Sarah and I were out of town, Justin preached. And I just heard so many wonderful, wonderful things about the message that he gave. And it just thrilled me to hear you compliment um, God's word through him. It, ah, it, was, it just brought me joy. When I got back into the office, you know what Justin said to me? He said, Randy, I've got a video of my message. Would you please evaluate my message? I thought, thank you, God, for this man of God. What a humble man of God. He wants to improve. He wants to be sharpened. God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139. God, show me where I need to improve. Evaluate what you see so that in everything I will please you in the new heavens and the new earth. I really think that's what Paul's getting at here, which is why verse 9 says, so whether we are at home in the body or away from the body, we make it our aim to please him. What if, what if we as a church prayed that prayer? What if we as a church? Lord, how can we as a church please you? How can we be a blessing in this here and now world? Would, would meeting needs in our community please you? Would serving the under-resourced please you? Would befriending the marginalized and ostracized in our community please you? How can we use even the stuff of this life that's broken and wasting away, how can we use it in such a way to show the world that it's not the stuff that's changing, but it's the all-surpassing power of God working through our lives? That's what's causing the change. Oh, God, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from the body, we make it our aim to please you. My goodness, when it truly sinks into the marrow of your soul 
that this life is not all there is. That we were made for another world and that changes everything about what we see about this world. Oh my. Things happen. There is an insatiable longing inside of me, a thirst that never seems to be quenched. This deep hunger doesn't go away no matter how busy I get or how hard I work to be distracted. I long for justice, love, hope, peace, perfection, satisfaction, mercy, contentment, rest, harmony, joy, and none of these longings ever gets fully satisfied. And so in my quest for more, I am faced with two irrefutable proofs. Proof number one, this world is not all there is. Proof number two, Jesus made me for another world.